you have a little cinemascist in you. No twink it's bonds. A lot of sucking. It is a hoot and a half. It is so weird, and I don't know what its point is, but I love it. If you kill a child, I'm on board with your movie. Diamond Dallas Page, self high five, is the real people's champion. Can I be your bratwurst? Please. Do you have a crush on him? That does not narrow it down. The answer is probably yes. I am obsessed with Schrader. I want that man to marry me. Show me that pale brown eye. (laughs) Bring me to your crypt, baby. Is nice, nice derriere. He has a very sweet ass. Very cute butt. Does. I want to see some dong. Not entirely successful. This is an excruciating experience. I understand that you are the Hoover. It's like a Tasmanian <laughs> devil. We hope that this is never a floppy list. That we get you hard. Hard watch. Soft skip. Watch. Skip. Plus. Welcome, one and all, to another edition of Watch Skip Plus, the movie review podcast with a lifestyle twist. Every week, my co-host and I will review a brand new film, whether that be in the theaters, streaming digitally, sometimes both at the same time, and we'll let you know if you think you should watch or skip it. The plus is our little lifestyle twist, our little extra at the beginning of each episode to get to know us, and it could be anything uh, from the week that we want to discuss, another movie, television show, a song that inspired us, a life event. Uh, the fact that we just lost an hour this morning, uh, but you know, we were going to waste it anyway, but you know, we're both a little sleepy. <laughs> it can be anything. <laughs> I am the Cinemascus Justin the Red, joined as always by my lovely podcast partner in arms, Cupcake, or as I affectionately called him last week, Machine Gun Jelly. Jose, how are you doing? Uh, actually feeling a little tired now that we lost an hour, but uh, work has been ramping up and, and just the combination is been a little bit tiring but it's always fun to escape and record a podcast with you where we talk movies so likewise i'm happy likewise (laughs) and you know it's it's maybe it's a shame that we're regal unlimited guys because i feel like you saying it's nice to escape makes me think of that the amc nicole kidman thing that always runs online that we say every week i think we'd rather endure than that stupid regal thing but hey i'm not gonna digress too much on that but we did both go to a regal theaters because the film this week is playing in the theaters and it is scream six the obviously six installment of the long-running franchise uh but before we get to that and our thoughts on the franchise and the new installment we do have some pluses jose what is your plus this week so uh i'm gonna just intro my plus a little bit just by talking about the fact that Uh, As I mentioned on the Oscar episode last time that I could not find a lot of the streaming films um, or even some of the animated shorts uh, or I couldn't find them streaming for free. How about that? Or they weren't on any of my services. So I ended up having to pay extra money, like $20 to rent living, $20 each for the whale and the foreign film close. But irony, thy name is Oscars because... Now they're all available to stream or to rent at like some lower price. In fact, Triangle of Sadness showed up on Prime, as did Women Talking. Um, So it it was just a little ironic that now they're available on Oscar weekend, which still isn't fair because you could marathon like I did uh, in anticipation of the Oscar ceremony. But then, you know, I don't know. I think you'd go buggy and with losing an hour maybe fall asleep um but my plus for this week is that my year of dicks is now available on hulu so i watched it and i have to tell you it 
it's actually pretty good. I don't think it's going to win, um, but it's really, really well done. So my year of dicks is a 30 minute short. So um, just find 30 minutes and watch it. It's fantastic. Uh, it's about a 15 year old. I, I believe she's 15, a girl who's trying to lose her virginity. And so the short is made up of chapters where she goes through her potential suitors, i.e. her year of dicks. Um, it is stylized in the res uh, in the same way that Link Letters A Scanner Darkly was. So what you have is it's animated, but there are human actors and they're just sort of rotoscoped over and then they add any like backgrounds and stuff. It's predictable. It It's absolutely charming and funny and sweet. And there's a couple scenes in there. The um, And I'm just going to say without spoiling the birds and the bees talk and then the resolution that are pretty cool. I can actually see why it's Oscar nominated. I don't think it's going to win, but I can see why it's Oscar nominated. And I'm just going to say to the uh, writer, creator, Pamela Ribbon and director is Sarah Godus daughter, I think is her name. Please expand this into a film because the the way that it wrapped up and especially that birds and the bees talk and what um what a woman has to sort of go through in terms of that versus what a man has to sort of go through i mean it would make for a really great sweet and endearing movie so if any of you have hulu check out my year of dicks it's one of the oscar nominated animated shorts or or shorts for the oscars uh but yeah that's my plus Nice, nice. Yeah, I was. I didn't know it was on Hulu, so I might give it a shot. Like I said, I I always want to try to give these shorts a chance, and I just never do. But I think for next year, I'm going to try to be a little bit better at cramming them in because you know there's only usually about thirty minutes each, so it's easier than cramming two to three hour films in. Absolutely, and and like I said, I I cracked open some of my apps um, uh, to watch or streaming apps to watch films on Thursday. And lo and behold, My Year of Dicks was available, Triangle of Santa showed up, and then Les Pupilles, co-directed hey. by Alfonso Cuaron, is also on Hulu as well. So some of the shorts are, are showing up on your streaming. So Nice, nice. Yeah. Well, I'm going to head into the world of video games with my plus this week, but it is an incredibly cinematic video game. Uh, I played this on PlayStation Plus, which I have, I believe I've mentioned before on this show. If not, uh, what it is, it's a subscription if you have a PlayStation where for X amount of dollars a month, I have the highest one where I think it's 17. You have this entire back catalog of games to play. Newer games, but also games from prior PlayStation systems. Uh, a tremendous deal. And one of the games that popped up on there was called Telling Lies. And I, I got very curious because this is from Annapurna Interactive, who I had mentioned on the very first episode uh, when I discussed Stray, that lovely game where you play the stray cat. And this is described as a desktop thriller. And it is uh, from the same people who did a game called Her Story, which I have not played, but apparently the gameplay is exactly the same, where all of the gameplay is through clips. So in this one, the idea is that you are a, I guess, a detective who has gotten a hold of evidence that is going to be destroyed the next morning to kind of, I guess, get the last little bits of details on what was supposed to be this undercover anti-terrorist organization. So you were playing, so you're watching, uh, 
this agent who is infiltrating what they could be eco-terrorists. So they're against this pipeline that's being built. But he starts to actually fall in love with one of the people in the organization. and But he also has a wife and child at home. And there's also stuff with his boss. What makes this very unique is there's not really a normal style of gameplay. Even though you're told that, hey, you're going through these clips and this is how you can kind of search on the function because you're basically pretending like you're on a desktop itself pulling up these clips and stuff from like the recycle bin and whatnot and every now and then the reflection of the person that you're playing as can be seen on the screen and there's actually a jump scare when you get an achievement where a cat jumps on the laptop that legit scared me so very funny that they they found a clever way to implement the the old cat jump scare but what makes it so weird and almost threw me off at first is like there isn't actual objectives. There's not you're not putting something into like a notepad or something. It's like, oh, I found this clue. You're literally told when you watch these clips, there might be something, a word that makes you think, oh, let me look up this word to see a prior clip or a future clip. And that's it. And at first it threw me off because I was like, well, I don't have a like a main directive. This is kind of just do what you want. So I actually turned the game off after a little bit. But I had this gnawing feeling. I'm like, I'm kind of curious where this was going. And after a while, I just kind of got caught up into it. It only takes a couple of hours, but it's I guess you could say it's stylized a bit like Memento because depending on how you view the clips, you can watch a lot of this stuff backwards. I ended up seeing one of the final clips after my first search. Uh, but it is very unique. I'd be curious to check out her story. Uh, I don't know if I believe these probably go for 15 to 20 bucks. If you don't have like a subscription plan, I'd say it's only worth maybe a couple just because it only lasts you a couple of hours, but it is very unique and it does have well-known actors, Logan Marshall Green, who I think a lot of people, including myself have, uh, effectually, uh, nicknamed discount Tom Hardy because he, in certain lights, especially in the film upgrade, which is very fun. He looks just like Tom Hardy here. He looks a bit more like, I guess himself, He's in this as the undercover agent. You have Alexandra Ship, Carrie Bechet, Angela Serafayan as, if I'm correct, she is the, there's, yeah, she is. So there's also this weird uh, thread line where he's also, as he's starting to lose himself, kind of flirt with this cam girl, but he can't, you know, separate the fact that she's not real, just like he's supposedly not real. That part, I kind of, I just never discovered those clips till too late on and it wasn't as interesting, but you know, she's still good in it. Uh, I think this would be very interesting to play if you have a PlayStation Plus. Honestly, I think, Jose, you might even like playing something like this because it's not really a video game, at least not traditionally. I guess you could technically go online and people probably have the entire clips up there, but I mean, half the fun is discovering it on your own and creating your own, I guess, narrative as opposed to just going straight forward or having somebody else's. So, yeah, telling lies. Give it a shot. Excellent. That cast sounds pretty fabulous. Um, uh, and now I feel like there's a glitch in the Matrix. Uh-oh. What's <laughs> this the glitch? Is a, this isn't... No, this is an in-joke between Justin and I. You know, this reminds me of... Um, there's a television series on HBO directed by Steven Soderbergh starring Sharon Stone called Mosaic. And before the film or before the miniseries uh, premiered on HBO Max, there was an app that you could download on your phone. And just like this game that you were talking about, you could sort of look at the story, the mystery of who killed this famous child's book author. Um, you could look at it from different characters' point of views. So you know, this, you're, you're 
plus about this game reminds me of that. It was a very unique way to sort of market the the limited series directed by Steven Soderbergh. I don't think you can find the app anymore, but that's just what's coming to mind as you're describing it, but it sounds fun. Also, I'm going to say this. Uh, Logan Marshall Green, who, again, we do come Dime Star Tom Hardy because they really, really do look alike. In fact, why they have not been cast as brothers in something uh, it's it's one of the tragedies of casting you almost but, think that they could have had logan marshall green and legend if they didn't want to do that well tom hardy plays two roles because it would have been 100 percent believable oh completely completely um and uh i've even seen trailers where logan marshall green is in it and i'm like oh tom hardy that's gonna be exciting like i think forever i thought Tom Hardy was in Prometheus <laughs> from those from those trailers. And then I'm like, that's not Tom Hardy. But what I wanted to add was that Logan Marshall Green has what's called an osteoma. For those of you who don't know, it's it's just it's a benign bony growth that kind of looks like a fixed knot or a bump on the forehead or the scalp. So who are famous people that have had osteomas? I'm thinking Jean-Claude Van Damme. He's had one. Ryan Filippi has had one. Um, Queen Latifah has had one. Logan Marshall Green was recently in the television series Big Sky. He has since gotten the osteoma removed, but now I can only see his scar whenever there's a close-up. <laughs> um, additionally, Queen Latifah also had hers removed, and you can also see her scar as well. So I'm sorry, who uh, listeners, you're probably going to hear this and then never see anything but those scars on those two actors. Um, but I'm sorry, I just wanted to point that out. Even with it, even with the osteoma, um, all of those actors are gorgeous and beautiful and sexy and would it wouldn't have mattered if it was removed or it stayed. Yeah, I mean, honestly, it gave them kind of a nice little unique look, and I mean that in a positive way, but obviously not going to begrudge them for, you know, getting it removed if if they felt comfortable doing that. I will say, when you said a bony growth, yes, I went to the gutter because I am a child, and I was like, wait a minute, <laughs> did I miss the film where I got to see his bony growth? Damn, I've got to do some hunting. Uh, was that the unrated wait, edition of Upgrade? Is that what was upgrading? <laughs> what was that like, um... Was it Amazon Women on the Moon? Or maybe it was Kentucky Fried Movie where the dildo on his forehead. Anyway. (laughs) Uh, Well, you know what movie doesn't have any dildos on the forehead? That would be Scream 6. Uh, Before I send it over to you, Jose, to go over the behind the scenes, the crew... Uh, I did want to at least mention uh, in the past with some of these franchises, I've done a little like franchise history. I'm going to kind of skip it because there's not too much. I I don't really feel like going through the films. We know they made a lot of money. We're going to probably talk about them. It doesn't, unlike some of these other horror franchises, such as Halloween and Hellraiser, there's not really been any forays into comic books that I could find. A little hard because there's a long-running comic series just called Scream, but even throwing in Ghostface, I, I wasn't able to find anything on Wikipedia's. Video games, uh, the character Ghostface does pop up in Dead by Daylight, which I mentioned as a DLC character, a playable killer in the game. There was a mobile game, I believe it was, or an online flash for Scream 4, and there's a couple like fan games out there, as, uh, and I think there was also a canceled Ghostface game. Uh, but that's, yeah, about it. I mean, the only thing kind of unique is there's an adult coloring book out there, which I almost bought, that I thought was funny. <laughs> and I got tricked uh-huh. by Amazon because I... 
there was a book on there called like the Woodsboro, I think Killings or whatever, whatever the Gail Weathers book was. I'm like, oh, that's clever. They made a book to, you know, a faux book. I mean, they've done it with Ron Burgundy has a book out there. So I thought, okay, that's what they did. Well, they, when I opened up the link, it even said, it's just a blank, like notepad. And that was just the creator making like, oh, this is a fun little thing, which so cute, but I was like legit disappointed and surprised. They never actually made this into a book that I could find uh, because that would, I'd buy it. I'd, I'd be curious to read this, you know, faux book as if it was written by Gail Weathers. So if I am wrong, people can correct me, but I really didn't find much uh, outside of what you would expect from the Scream franchise and like obviously the costumes and video sales so not as not hmm. as fun as some of the other ones so we're gonna skip that and i'm gonna send it over to you jose to talk about the crew and everyone behind the scenes and you know to be sure there is uh most certainly uh scream merchandise and even even the famous opening of the first film directed by wes craven like it's been lampooned or you know sent up or or even made part of other mysteries. So it's definitely penetrated the pop culture zeitgeist, but you're right. It, the, the dearth of any sort of, you know, fan fiction or works or novels, or even like tie-ins like the Woodsboro murders. I think, I think you can get diaries that have the cover of it, of the books. Yeah. That's what it is. Um, diary. Yeah. Yeah, but it's a, it, like a journal or whatever. But yeah, there's a surprising lack of that. There was also the MTV Scream series, oh, which yes, yes. I, I, I will say I saw the first season and it wasn't half bad. There were some really, really good actors actors in there. Uh, Bex Taylor Kloss comes to mind. Um, they are were in it and they are always fun to watch. Um, but yeah, so returning to uh, our Below the Line, I think the easiest thing to do is to start with Project X and Radio Silence. So Project X is founded by three men, James Vanderbilt, Paul Neinstein, and William Sherrick. This is a new entertainment company. They call it a mini major. So they are focusing on films and television series that are budgeted anywhere between 15 or 65 million. So no tent poles or anything like that. Uh, Bill Sherrick, if any Bill, I don't know him personally, but William Sherrick, <laughs> um, the reason why, the reason why I know about William Sherrick is that he is the former president of stereo D who did a lot of, uh, that company did a lot of 3d conversion for films. They're now known as SDFX and Sherrick has since left that he's also descended from sort of Hollywood royalty. His father was Tom Sherrick. Um, but Vanderbilt and crew, they started Project X relatively recently, and the films that they have been behind are Ambulance, the Michael Bay-directed film starring Jake Gyllenhaal and Yahya Abdul-Mateen, an indie film called Bed Rest, which also stars Melissa Barrera, who is in Scream 2022 and Scream 6. Um, they obviously were behind the Scream 2022, which we're going to call Scream 22. Uh, and then there are future slate includes a Netflix series called The Night Agent starring Gabriel Basso who was uh I first saw that young actor in The Kings of Summer he was the redhead uh he has grown up into a huge stud and that series is going to be on Netflix it also stars Oscar nominated Hong Chow that's going to come out March 23rd and they are rebooting The Nutty Professor as well so James Vanderbilt 
He's a bit of a super producer, and he had his own production company before founding Project X. He uh, produced McTiernan's Basic, Fincher's Zodiac, Emmerich's White House Down. He also wrote and directed Truth, starring Oscar-nominated Kate Blanchett, Robert Redford. That was about the 2004 60 Minutes report about Bush's military history that essentially cost producer, writer Mary Mapes and Dan Rather their careers. Um, Eli Roth's The House with the Clock in Its Walls, The Radio Silence directed Ready or Not, and then Murder Mystery, the Netflix comedy with Jennifer Aniston and Adam Sandler. He's also been an EP on Altered Carbon, the Netflix series. And in addition, in addition to producing and writing those some of those films that I just mentioned, he has also d- written the screenplays for Darkness Falls, The Losers, The both of the Andrew Garfield Spider-Mans and Independence Day Resurgence and the last movie he wrote, which I'm sure you're going to love, Justin, and I think you and Masaki need to maybe review, but he wrote The Rundown. Yeah, I love The Rundown. (laughs) So I think you and Masaki have to review that. Uh, Was it that bad? (laughs) The Rundown. Um, Additionally, since Vanderbilt is producing and writing Scream 6, There is also an additional writer named Guy Busick. He started in TV, best known for the series Watch Over Me. There's 12 episodes of that. He also wrote episodes for Stan Against Evil. Uh, But he's probably best known for writing Ready or Not, the previous Scream 22. And he is the writing architect uh, behind Hulu's fabulous Castle Rock. If you've never seen that, Castle Rock is sort of a supernatural drama mystery thriller where the characters are from or operate in the Stephen King universe. So uh, if you haven't checked that out, it's it's a, it's a really, really great show. Underrated. I don't know why people didn't check it out. And psst, by the way, Guy Busick is currently writing Final Destination 6. Um, Amongst our other producers and EPs, I'm just going to say that uh, uh, executive producers are Kevin Williamson, who wrote Scream and Scream 2, and then came back to write Scream 4. But our other EPs are Kathy Conrad and Mary Madeline, Marianne Madalena. They are longtime producing partners of Wes Craven. Um, God rest his soul. We love you, Wes. Um, and then our other producer is Chad Villella. That name will become important because now we're going to discuss Radio Silence. So similarly to Project X, Radio Silence is a production company comprised of three people. Matt Bettinelli-Olpin, Tyler Gillett, or Gillett, I'm going to say Gillett, I think it sounds better, <laughs> and Chad Villella. Many of you may know him, or these three, from shorts and internet clips where they were known as Chad, Matt, and Rob, and they did a ton of shorts that were kind of a blend of comedy, horror, and sci-fi. Bettinelli Olpin is a graduate of UC Santa Cruz. He also started a punk band called Link 80. And get your bingo cards out because I think he is dead sexy and gorgeous. Uh, He is... mm, Mm. Just Google him. I love him. He's sexy. Uh, Gillette is a graduate of University of Arizona. Villela hails from Pennsylvania and went to Mercyhurst College and is the founder of the Center for Information Research and Training. The films that Radio Silence has done, they've directed segments for VHS. Um, 
every podcast seems to go back to Adam Wingard. I don't know why. Bingo. Um, I, bingo, exactly. Another bingo. They directed the closing segment of VHS, which is titled 103198. It's one of the better found footage clips out there and really was a rousing way to sort of like uh, end the film. Unless I'm wrong about that. I think that was the, the closing segment. They also directed and wrote 2014's Devil's Do, another found footage thriller about a young couple expecting a baby, and that baby may or may not be the Antichrist. Um, they contributed a segment also to the anthology horror road movie Southbound. Um, and then that brings us to 2019's Ready or Not, which really put Radio Silence on the map. In fact, it put them on the map so much that they were handpicked to do uh, the Scream 22 movie that Vanderbilt was producing. Uh, Ready or Not is not found footage, but it's so much more than just a spin on the dangerous game. It's clever. It's funny. It reminds me of a more playful You're Next. So check that out if you have not seen that. Radio Silence also has a podcast called Crawl with Radio Silence, and they are EPs on the film's Phobias, which is streaming on Hulu. And then the Shutter exclusives, VHS 94 and VHS 99. Radio Silence is working on VHS 85. I don't know why they're suddenly then going backwards in time. And it has been announced, and they're looking for writers. Radio Silence will be behind a remake of the veteran, uh, I'm sorry, much lauded, venerable John Carpenter classic, Escape from New York. Mm. Um, so when it comes to Scream 6, Valella is also producing, Bettinelli Olpin, sexy man, and Gillette are directing. Uh, just really quickly, and the it's weird, our Oscar episode show now gave me a roadmap as to what to what to talk about when it comes to Below the Line. So our music is by Brian Tyler. He has scored a ton of popular mainstream films. I'm not going to list them here. He's prolific. And Sven Falconer are our music composers falconer has scored mainly shorts but also the sci-fi film assimilate starring joel courtney and andy matichek please check that out it's it's a nifty little thriller also joel courtney is naked in it um he has been the technical score he's also been a technical score advisor before being the additional composer on films like the huntsman films the hunger game films Black Widow, Red Notice, Gemini Man, Aquaman, and the recent Strange World and Top Gun Maverick. Our DP is Brett Jukowitz, who also wrote Scream 22. He's He has 37 credits to his name, but he's probably most known for the, move, the films Them That Follow, Ready or Not, Boogie, which is fantastic if if none of you have seen that i think it's on hbo max and the black phone which i think was a favorite of uh yours justin uh no it was masaki's i was actually a little iffy on black phone got it uh got it got it got it um and he's working on the new season of stranger things (laughs) also our production designers that's michelle la liberté with set decoration by suzanne clotier Liberté has been the production designer for The Words with Zoe Saldana and Bradley Cooper, Emmerich's Stonewall, and Disney's Clouds, which, after reading the description, I kind of think I want to see it. It's about a young singer-songwriter who finds out he has cancer. Um, She's also art-directed films like Some of All Fears, Day After Tomorrow, Benjamin Button, The Curious Case of Benjamin Button, Tarsem's Immortals, and The Last 
three X-Men movies, which we are not going to hold against her. <laughs> and then our costume, our costumes are done by Avery Plews. Uh, she is probably best, although she has worked in the costume department and worked her way up. Her costume design credits include 8-Bit Christmas, Netflix's Sexy and Erotic Sex Life series. If you've not seen that, it is it is hot and spicy. Y'all get on it. Um, Ready or Not, The Craft Legacy, and Everything Everything, which starred my future husband, Nick Robinson. So that is our Below the Line, Red over to you with the cast. All right. Uh, I'm. There's a lot of returning characters and actors in this, so I'm going to start with all of them. Uh, the first four people I'm going to bring up were all in Scream, Scream 2022, Scream 5, The Last Scream, whatever you want to call it. Starting with Melissa Barrera as Sam Carpenter, starting with those clever, clever names. Uh, again, previous Scream. She was also in In the Heights, Bed Rest, which you had mentioned, Jose. All the World is Sleeping, Carmen, uh, the series Vida, as well as Siempre Tuya Acapulco, which was a long-running Mexican soap opera that she was in over 100 episodes for. And then she was also just in a slew of Mexican television series. Not going to butcher a lot of their names. Uh, so she has come from... <laughs> Mexico and is making her name now here playing her sister. I think that title, I think that title means always you Acapulco. Anyway. Okay. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Uh, I'm not going to deny it. Uh, I'll agree with that. (laughs) (laughs) Playing her sister, Tara Carpenter. Once again, is Jenna Ortega, the current it girl. Uh, We had seen her obviously in the last screen, but in films such as X, the babysitter killer queen studio six, 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 which I still need to see the fallout. So good. And then uh, what she is most notable for right now is playing Wednesday Adams in the recent Wednesday series from Tim Burton. She appeared on Jane the Virgin, Suck in the Middle, a Richie Rich series, as well as providing a voice on Jurassic World Camp Cretaceous. Uh, returning as Mindy Meeks Martin, their friend is Jasmine Savoy Brown. Again, last Scream film. She was also in Missing earlier this year, which we covered. Uh, she is in the very popular Yellow Jacket series, uh, as well as series such as For the People, Love, The Leftovers, and then I thought this was kind of interesting. She has a couple of voice credits for video games, Lego Star Wars All-Stars, Wolfenstein Youngblood, and Spider-Man Miles Morales. Playing her brother, Chad Meeks Martin, is Mason Gooding, again, from the prior Scream film, as well as Booksmart. Fall, uh, that was the one released last year, not The Fall, which our esteemed co-host Jose guested on Not A Bomb Podcast to discuss. Uh, Let It Snow. And then for series, he's been on Love, Victor, Everything's Gonna Be Okay, How I Met Your Father, and The Good Doctor. And then returning from all of the Scream films is Courtney Cox, once again, as Gail Weathers, that author, reporter of the Woodsboro Murders. Uh, she had made a big name for herself, obviously, on the Friends sitcom. As for films, she was in Cocoon the Return, Masters of the Universe, Ace Ventura, Pet Detective. And then after being with Jim Carrey, she also starred with Adam Sandler twice in The Longest Yard and Bedtime Stories. She was in 3,000 Miles to Graceland, The Tripper, and then to go back to series, she was also in the long-running Cougar Town. And I should mention The Tripper was her ex-husband, David Arquette's Ronald Reagan masked slasher. So she had a really quick cameo in that spoiler alert. Mm. And just cause I always remember this. <laughs> she was in the music video for counting crows along December and then returning and from- dancing in the dark. Bruce oh, Springsteen. That is right. She was also in that. Yeah. She, she, it's interesting for a long December because I feel like she had already been 
on Friends for a little while. So at least with Dancer in the Dark, her name hadn't been quite made yet. With uh, Long yep. December, it's it's not as common once you are kind of like a, a Hollywood it girl to just do a music video. But Counting Crows, man, they were big in the 90s. Yes. Uh, she also might have been dating a band member. I'm not going to put that out there. I mean, I just did, but she could have been. I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> returning as Kirby Reed from Scream 4 is Hayden Panettiere. Yes. She most, Love her. Most known for the Heroes television series, as well as the reboot uh, series they did a few years back. I think it was Heroes Reborn. Uh, as far as mm. film, she was in Remember the Titans, I Love You, Beth Cooper, Hoodwink 2, Amanda Knox, Bringing On All or Nothing, because I know you love that franchise, Jose, and I yes. like the first one. I never saw the sequels. Uh, <laughs> also in the rebooted Nashville series, and to go back to the video game realm, she has done uh, voice work for the entire video game series of Kingdom Hearts, which is the Square Onyx uh, RPG of the Disney franchise that has since crossed over with the Final Fantasy franchise. Now for some save the cheerleaders, save the world. (laughs) I had to say that. I had to say that. (laughs) And now for some of our newer entries, we have the sexy silver fox Dermot Maroney playing Detective Bailey, Mm. uh, most known Mm. for films such as Young Guns, My Best Friend's Wedding, Career Opportunities, Bad Girls, Copycat, The Family Stone, August Osage County, About Schmidt, The Gray, Uh, and he's had some horror mainstays here he was in insidious chapter three american horror story and the television series based off of the purge as well as this isn't horror but he was in the showtime series shameless uh playing his daughter quinn bailey is liana liberato uh she was in the marvelous film trust which i mentioned a few weeks back that was the emotionally draining drama that david schwimmer directed with clive owen Definitely seek it out, but expect to have your heart broken. Uh, She was also in If I Stay, The Best of Me, Stuck in Love, Uh, Trespass. That was the one with Nicolas Cage and uh, Nicole Kidman, not the early 90s. Uh, I think that was a Walter Hill film, but that one's really fun. I haven't seen the Cage one, but the the Walter Hill one's really fun. Uh, Sons of Anarchy television series, House, Cold Case, and CSI Miami. Playing Ethan Landry, one of the college uh, students, is Jack Champion, who was in Avatar The Way of Water, which we covered. Uh, he also had a small... He looks so different. Yes. Absolutely. Because he was Spider, wasn't he? The the one with like the... He was, he was, in fact, Spider with the blonde dreads. He was also 15 and turned, I think, 17 by the time production was done. And at the end of the film, when, it, when the credits ran, Jack Champion, I turned to Scooter and I was like... Oh my God! It's Spider from Avatar because yeah, they I were did, like, "Oh, he's so I didn't he's so dreamy it. and wonderful." Yeah. I didn't yeah. recognize it at all, and I honestly thought, like, did IMDb mess up? And maybe he was one of the like the children that obviously was CGI. But no, it's it was uh, the Jungle Boy doppelganger, not looking at all like Jungle Boy Jack Perry. Uh, <laughs> the Jungle Boy, I love it. <laughs> we uh, he also had a small role in Avengers Endgame, and then in films such as The Night Sitter, Insurgent, and then the series Under the Dome and Gone. Uh, Josh Shigara plays Danny Brackett, another Halloween reference there with the last name. He was in yep. films such as Trainwreck, The Overboard Remake, The Arrow Series, She-Hulk, Orange is the New Black, FBI, Chicago PD, Sirens, The Moody's, and then. Also had a couple of video game credits with Rockstar Games and Grand Theft Auto V and Red Dead Redemption. So more known for television, but he's starting to make his name. Uh, Devin Actually, Nic- just as just as just as a side note, Sagara also is heavy on Broadway, and he was one of the featured performers in uh, the Gloria Estefan musical. 
Um, okay. And I think he might have even been Tony nominated for it. So um, not only is the man sexy, Harry has beautiful man boobs. Um, he can sing and he can act. So there you go. <laughs> nice. Yes, he is very sexy. Uh, and we have playing Anika Koyoko, the love interest of Mindy Meeks Martin, is Devin Nakoda. She is mostly known for television series such as Backstage, Degrassi, The Next Generation, Androids, that is spelled A-N-N-E, like the name, Utopia Falls, Ginny and Georgia, but she was also in a movie called Sneakerella, so I like that title, don't know if I'll ever watch the movie. And then I had these two as written as spoilers. I was going to bring them up in our spoiler section. They're from the intro of the film, which usually can be a spoiler, but I just noticed they're on the movie posters or in the cast list. And I believe they were in the marketing. So I'm just going to cats out of the bag. We have Samara weaving as Laura crane. She obviously, as you mentioned earlier, she was in the ready or not series. So that's why she kind of has the nod here. Uh, she was in the Babysitter franchise. Bill and Ted Face the Music. She was in Babylon, which we covered a couple months back. Guns Akimbo, Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri, Snake Eyes, and Mayhem. And then playing Jason Carvey is Tony Revolori, who uh, was Flash in the recent Spider-Man Ugh. films. Oh, how dare I hate Flash Thompson. Oh, okay. A good I thing. hate Flash Thompson. You're supposed to. Okay, you're supposed to. I was like <laughs> yes, saying that yes. to him or something. I was like, hey, I love Tony. No, 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 no. He, he did his job very well because every time I watch those movies, I'm like, die, Flash Thompson, die. <laughs> uh, he is also, I think, most known for the Grand Budapest Hotel. That's what put him on the map for me. He was in Dope, The Fifth Wave, Table 19, Please Stand By, The Long Dumb Road, which is a fun little, I guess you could say, send up of road movies that he did with Jason Mansukas, I believe is how you pronounce that actor's last name. Mm-hmm. And he's also in series such as the recent Willow series, Monster High, Servant, and Poorly Drawn Lines. Uh, so yeah, there we go. Jose. Actually, actually, can I just, I'm going to, I'm just going to piggyback just a little bit mm-hmm. with some additional information. Um, so Jenna Ortega recently ran into a little bit of a controversy because apparently she was claiming in an interview that she refused to read lines from certain scripts on episodes of Adams. Uh, I'm sorry, Wednesday. And she had justified it as the character would never do this, this and that, blah, blah, blah. But the controversy is, okay, wait a minute. <laughs> You're the actress, read the lines, right? But at the same time, you know, God bless her. She has artistic vision enough to know, listen, this is where we're headed. Let's have a, let's, let's discuss these lines or whatever. And so, you know, the making movies is definitely collaborative, but she's taking a little heat over that because the, the quotes, you know, taken out of context, made it, make it seem like she's sort of a diva. Who is this girl? She's so young. She's asking to rewrite things or refusing to say lines. It's a little awkward. Mason Gooding, that is Cuba Gooding Jr.'s son. Okay. He so looks like him. Um, I mean, I didn't think it in the first Scream 22, but the more I watched his close-ups here, I was like, yeah, totally Cuba Gooding. Um, Dermot Mulroney, if any of you are interested, has a history of being naked in films. So, Ooh, that moony growth. In, uh, he's naked in Deadly Illusions, The Rambler, uh, Shameless, a film called Inhale, where he does full frontal nudity, a film called Jolene, The Wedding Date, Trixie, and then Intimate Affairs, where he also did full frontal nudity. So anyone interested or loves Dermot the way we do, check it out. The other person I was just going to spotlight is Henry Cherney, who 
I love him. Not only do I think he's a beautiful, beautiful silver fox, but he's a magnificent actor. Uh, he was in uh, uh, Clear and Present Danger as the asshole president advisor. Um, he's also been in a ton of other films and TV series, but he plays the psychiatrist, Dr. Christopher Stone, which I don't know if that's intentional, but Christopher Stone is the actor that played in The Howling, um, who was D. Wallace's husband in the movie and in real life, and he ended up turning into a werewolf. I, I don't know if that was intentional or not, but okay. Okay. That's it. <laughs> All right. Well, I do just want to touch upon with the Jenna Ortega thing. I think probably more just because she's young, but like you said, every actor has done this. I remember people praising, to say in the horror realm, uh, Kane Hodder for when he took over the role of Jason Voorhees for saying, you know, being protective of that character and like, oh, Jason wouldn't do this or that. So it's people are very selective when they choose that. It's a silly oh, yeah. little, I get it because she's young, but whatever. It's silly. Uh, Jose. Yeah. What are yes. your feelings? Spoiler-free thoughts on Scream 6, and I guess the Scream franchise, if you want to just say your relationship with it. Uh, what's your feelings? Okay. All right, spoiler-free. My relation, First of all, my relationship with Scream is, uh, in Scream 22, they were talking about toxic fandom and how you know, some, sometimes movies are somebody's life. Well, Scream was my life. Like I remember seeing it in the theaters and I just had such an indelible imprint on that film, just the way the audience was reacting and Kevin Williamson and his writing and Wes Craven. And so from that point on, every Wes Craven film that came out, every Kevin Williamson project that came out, uh, it was all in my eyeballs and I was memor memorizing everything. So uh, yeah, Scream, very, very influential to me. I love all of the Scream movies, although I'm coming around to accepting Scream 3, which I, I think is is one of the worst sequels like ever written, and I blame Aaron Kruger for that. I mentioned Aaron Kruger on the Oscar episode um, because he, he had a hand in writing Top Gun Maverick, so good for him. But for a time, I was cursing Aaron Kruger's name just like Richie in Scream 22 for fucking up my my uh, chi and my love for Scream. Uh, all of that changed and it came back around for Scream 4 when Williamson came back. And I still think that Scream 4 is the unsung superhero sequel of this entire franchise because just the modern update of it and the conceit or the idea behind it was, I just found it to be mind-blowing and dead-on and a perfect way to bring back the franchise after quite some time. And then that brings us to Scream uh, 22 by the Radio Silence guys. Again, just smart and clever and loving. There are some flaws with that movie. I think there's too many scenes of the characters um, sort of sitting around talking, well, you're the killer because you're the killer because, and there's literally like three scenes of that, which became tiresome. But on the whole, that requel to use that term boy these terms are following us around right um but to to you know use the term requel that was actually really really well done and so with this film scream six i obviously had seen some of the trailers they were moving it to new york i was really excited to sit down again with these characters that were introduced in scream 2022 um and it's always going to be a blast when Ghostface is there and there's kills. I will say this. There's some very, very good elaborate sequences in this. 
um, some of which remind me of Kruger's sequence in, um, oh, I'm sorry, not Kruger, Williamson's sequence in Scream 2, where Ghostface is knocked out and they have to get out of the car and crawl over him. So there's a couple sequences that remind me of that. Um, there's some other really beautiful, sh- beautifully shot sequences of terror as well, as well as the production design. When we uh, we'll get to spoilers, but there's there's sort of an end location that is just it's beautifully rendered and done. Um, but I was disappointed by this, and what I'm a little dumbfounded is, over is I go on the internet. And I go on IMDb. This is sitting at a 7.4. Now, time will tell, right? But everybody is like fawning over this. And yes, it is a charge to see these characters back again. And some of the 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 change in location in New York and the sort of fear of being in the city where there's a million people and you never know who Ghostface might be. Like, I don't feel like they played up enough of that but more to the point the reason why this is disappointing is that it just feels at least dramatically and thematically it feels like a complete retread of scream 22 when it comes to the relationship between um the carpenter the carpenter sisters um and there was a there was a real opportunity to move forward from that, I think, in Scream 22 and explore what Sam was going through with regards to being um, Billy Loomis's daughter and, you know, uh, how she ended up, you know, becoming violent in some ways. They had an opportunity to address that. They had an opportunity to address trauma, uh, but they really didn't and and this attempt to sort of like juice it up by sending it in new york yeah some of the sequences worked um but i I, the film unfortunately was very very disappointing and when i look back at the other scream films I, i the i think the issue with a lot of the mystery of the whodunit which is obviously the the fun part of the scream films right whodunit and then using the tropes of horror films and the conventions and having them upended. Scream 22 did that so well, right? They had a sequence in the beginning that upended the rules because she survived the first sequence. There are other things that that happen in the film. Uh, There's an attack in broad daylight, right? Which is sort of mimicking Scream 3 as well. But, But it's not enough to just upend it. It really, they really need to tie it in and make it more impactful. So, for example, we'll get this to the spoiler section. The opening scene where people are, you know, where there's the the famous who gets killed and how does it resolve? They certainly upended the rules with the first scene. So, not to spoil it, but this first scene is definitely a, a game changer in terms of previous first scenes. But it doesn't really lead to anything, and and it just retreads a lot of what's come before us. And so I think for the for the second time, because Scream Three was such a tragedy, um, I think for the second time this is a disappointing sequel. And as much as I love the Kirby character coming back, they really didn't do anything with her, um, other than you know 
some misdirection, which we'll get to with, with the spoiler section. But on the whole, it was disappointing. Um, and I'm teetering on whether it's a soft watch or it's a soft or it's a soft skip. Um, but I don't know. I think, I think at this, at this point, I'm going to say it's a soft skip. Um, if you love, if you love the franchise, obviously get on it, watch it. I'm sure maybe with repeat viewings, this may improve on me, but it, it just, it was, it was a big disappointment given the re given how great scream 22 was given how amazing scream four is. I would put scream four as the best of the, of all of the sequels. Um, and you know what, even if Nev Campbell was in this, I don't know that that would change anything, especially if the story were to be the same, but that's, that's just speculation. Um, Scream six, you disappointed me, and um, yeah, soft skip. Okay. Uh, before I get to my thoughts on Scream six, I guess I'll just give a brief relationship history with the Scream franchise. Uh, I was a kid when the first one came out, the first few, so I wasn't into adult horror, as it were. I still like my goosebumps and that. So the the Scream franchise scared the hell out of me because all the teenagers loved yeah. it. The ghost face masks yep. were everywhere. Uh, when I finally got around to them. I enjoyed the series, but I noticed, I mean, when I first got to them, I think I liked the first one or the first few a lot more than I do now, just because I was still new to horror and, you know, it was cool seeing all these references. It is a series that I still have fun with, but I think its downfall is the fact that it has, it is a weird, almost parody lampoon love letter to horror films because you can kind of just get away with anything. Anytime you want to criticize the writing, and I'm actually going to come to some slight defense of one of the installments, uh, you could just chalk it up to, well, it's making fun of what you expect these horror films or sequels to be. And so because of that, even though I haven't hated any of the installments, I've enjoyed them all, I don't have this like passion that Jose does. This is Jose's Clerks to what Clerks was to me. So I don't have that huge of a connection to this, which I think has helped. And the reason I'm bringing that up is because this one's probably going to break Jose's heart. I'm not the biggest Kevin Williamson fan. I actually... <laughs> I actually find his writing to tend to be way too much of a smart-ass know-it-all, and I think that could just be very grating. I think the reason the you know some of those Scream films worked and some of his other movies, but specifically The Scream, was because you had a director in Wes Craven who was able to pare it down. I agree that, I mean, Scream 3 is probably the weakest in the franchise, but I don't hate the writing as much just because I don't see it all that different than how Kevin Williamson writes. If anything, it's kind of parodying what his writing is like, as well as what you would expect a third film to be when you're throwing in this like voice modifier. Uh, I think a lot of Scream 3's problems just come from the fact that it was clearly neutered because of Columbine and other tragedies around that time. Uh, but I don't, again, I'm not the biggest fan of Scream 3. I'll be honest with you. I actually find Scream 2 to be very obnoxious. I like aspects yeah. of that, the opening, but I think that's the worst of Kevin Williamson's tropes. Even Sick, which I liked, I liked not because of his script, I liked the direction of that, and I thought the tight, I thought his script just became a problem. Uh, it's just, it's it's too on the nose for me. And the reason I'm bringing this up is I think that's kind of why I've been enjoying maybe these last two Scream films as well, because one, not as much of a passion for it so i'm going in with lowered expectations but again this is a franchise where the writing can be it's a catch-22 because I, I can maybe criticize some of the things of like 
you know, finding some of the on the nose dialogue or handling of characters to be a nuisance. But is that the point? Because that's the whole motif of these. Where I'm going to differ with you on Scream 6, though, is I actually found the drama to be refreshing. Now, to be fair, it's not as deep as it could have been. I was not maybe <laughs> expecting it to be that deep because it is Scream 6. So maybe the fact that they even handled more. I mean, I know there was PTSD with, you know, her being the son of uh, Loomis uh, in the last film. And there's a little bit of this there. I kind of like the fact that they didn't go too heavy with bringing back Skeet Ulrich and doing the flashbacks. But I actually kind of liked and thought the the strong or the freshest aspect of this was how she's dealing with her PTSD, basically shutting down, isolating, but then how Tara, played by Jenna Ortega, is just trying to put it behind her and is almost you know, not facing it. So there's a thing, there is such a good thing as trying to move on, but you also need to acknowledge it and not just go, oh, it didn't happen. And then you even had the little bit with the the, the two siblings that they're friends, how they're, they kind of fall a little bit by the wayside. Chad gets a little bit, but still like the little bond between them as being the core four coming together and all that. I kind of liked it. Again, I, I think the biggest issue, why it may not have connected as much with you and probably for some people is it has to play into, well, the the scream tropes and everything and everything about horror. And it's really hard to pull both of those off. And I will say, I think they kind of struggled. So that's where I think your disappointment with that came from. But maybe it's because I wasn't expecting it as much, but I actually liked that. And I appreciated the heavier emphasis on these new characters. And I really, really like these characters a lot. And I think that carried through in this film. One gripe I have, and I'm not going to go too much into it until we get into the spoiler section, but uh, I'm actually fine that Nev Campbell didn't come back. I mean, it's a shame. I know there's some controversy about why. I feel like, I, again, this is why it's hard to criticize this, <clears throat> this series because, again, if you're making fun of franchises, this is what franchises do. You keep bringing characters back. I'm sick and tired of these legacy characters. With that being said, I liked Kirby coming back because we only saw her in Scream 4. I'll get into more spoilers. I'm tired of Gale Weathers. I think it's, I get that it's probably part of the joke. I, I don't want to see this. I like the fact that they hand waved, you know, Sydney just getting her happy ending. That's why she's not coming. Yeah, do that. First off, I do like the character, so I don't want to see them consistently have to go up against a ghost face. It's nice in a way that we have a new set of characters that can deal with their own grief and can do a couple of films with these, with ghost face. And then if they keep going, they can do another reboot, requel, or just introduce new characters. I don't want to see these legacy characters anymore. And I think that part, having to introduce specifically Gale Weathers drag this down I think for me and not just slowed this down this is about two hours and for the most part I do think this was paced really well I think that kind of hurt some of the pacing and some of the like newer drama and I think if we could have just found a way to excise that I think we would have a bit of a tighter running time and I think some of that drama would have been more pronounced and focused on but I, I wasn't disappointed with this I had fun again I don't have this huge passion with these. I like the series. I own a t-shirt. I have the ghost face mask. I have fun with them, but it would be really hard for me. I mean, I don't think I'd ever be disappointed with an installment. If it wasn't good, I'd just be like, eh, I would have been disappointed had I not liked Clerks 3, like your reaction was. I would have been disappointed, just like I'll be disappointed if there's a Godzilla or Ultraman film that's not good. I'll be able to kind of go, well, there's a bunch more, but I'll have at least a bit more of a gut reaction than I would with Scream, but I had fun with this. Uh, I found the writing for the most part to be kind of clever, still doing a lot of what Kevin Williamson does, but not as obnoxious. Uh, I will say, I don't think that I think it was Montreal was a great stand in for New York. Uh, (laughs) Credit to the production designers. I thought they did a pretty good job with trying to make it work. Um, 
but that could just be a joke about obviously Jason takes Manhattan. They even have a clip of that early on in the film. Oh my god! Um, I'm one of the weirdos. That, that was I, obnoxious. I'm uh, oh the the clip of the movie or or Jason yes, takes Manhattan. The okay. clip of Jason uh, takes Manhattan. Yeah, that was. Yeah. I will agree, but I, I kind of expected it to happen. I'm one of the weirdos that actually kind of likes Jason takes Manhattan, but I'm gonna say weirdos because I actually like all the stuff on the fucking cruise ship more than I like the Manhattan stuff. I think that claustrophobia is kind of fun. Uh, yeah. So maybe that's supposed to that be a worked. joke. May, I think maybe the issue here too is unless you get very gimmicky with it and you have them like in the middle of Times Square or up on the Statue of Liberty. I mean, New York City is a big city, so like you can dress it up. If we watch a lot of movies set in New York, we don't normally think of it and criticize as much as we would this or Jason Takes Manhattan because we just accept, oh, you know, you know, we might be in this section of, you know, New York or whatever. But when you have it as your gimmick, I guess you get this mindset of like, well, it should be New York and very loud. And this is just a city. This this could have just been any city. Uh, the fact that it's New yeah. York isn't really, I mean, the, the subway is probably the most notable thing. I'm pretty sure that college was made up. It's not a bad thing. It doesn't detract from it. It's fine because the, the motif isn't New York. It's just them in a big city. It's just, I think the joke was they probably were just going to put it in a different city, maybe even Detroit. But then they thought, well, let's just do New York because we can do the Jason Takes Manhattan thing. Good, I guess commendable effort from the production designers. But I don't know. It, it was very noticeable that it wasn't New York at times. Um, I'm also going to say this. We'll get to the spoiler section. I'll I'll detail this more. That subway scene, complete failure. Absolute. They had so many. Uh, they had such a big opportunity to make that such a scary situation, and they fapped the bed. So is that, I, is I that agree. a term? Yeah, I, I like how you tried to censor yourself on this show of all shows. It's me, you, and I. We don't have any guests that we have to censor ourselves with. Um, I will agree, and we'll get to it in the spoiler section, that it was underwhelming, but I wonder if maybe it'll work better on a revisit because I kind of feel like, again, this is how it's kind of hard to criticize these films. I think that was part of the, the script of like uh, you upending expectations. Of what you expected from that. But I will admit mm. it, it was, especially considering that's the scene that's in the trailer the most, it was definitely underwhelming. But I mean, there's a lot of fun Very. stuff in it. This is probably the most brutal of the Scream franchise. Uh, Amen. Yeah, there's a lot of gory goodness if you're into that. Uh, not to the degree of Terrifier 2. So if that's too far for you, you're obviously not going to get that here. But I think there's some fun mayhem. Uh, especially in yeah. the, the the final act. There's a really, really gruesome sequence. Um, so for me, it's a watch. Uh, uh, to, uh, just right there, not salt or anything. I think if you're a fan of the franchise or you just kind of want a slasher, I think you'll have fun with it. I liked the new characters enough that their drama did work for me. Could it have done more? Yes. Did I have, obviously had issues with the legend uh, legacy characters and some of the, and I do agree with Kirby. She did feel more like a red herring for most part. I feel like they could have gotten a little bit more out of, out of her, but maybe they're saving that for the next installment. Who knows? But I enjoyed it. I had fun. I had fun with it. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, uh, <clears throat> if you have, so your watch, I'm a soft skip. Um, so if you have not seen Scream 6, we are about to fap the bed. <laughs> we're about to we're about to spoil the Shizaz out of this in three, two, one. I okay, can't believe Justin. they actually did the monkey scene from Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. They were like, listen, we're just gonna make the monkey the killer. Uh, no. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> People love monkeys. <laughs> Not. <laughs> so, Justin, I want to live in a universe like this where you can be stabbed 80 million times and you will live. Yeah. Like, no, I, I don't. I mean, the core four all stabbed a million fucking times and they're all alive. Yeah. And I think, look, they even left an in for, for Gail to come back. They yeah, were like weak pulse. And I'm like, come on. Uh, so that, like, this is where the series becomes hard to not criticize, but becomes frustrating for me because I actually do agree with some of these criticisms. But again, that's a horror trope. So is that just the joke? But I do feel like one uh, I know a lot of people, I, I mean, when they made the offhand remark that Gail survived or it was in the ICU, a couple of people in the audience cheered. I'm happy they enjoyed it. I think they should have just killed her off. I also find it funny that because Dewey died, like people are upset, which you should be because you like the character. But it's one of the reasons that's so frustrating about any kind of a franchise is people want these legacy characters to return. But then if they get killed, they get upset. But if they don't get killed, then it's just like, well, there's no suspense. So it's like, what the fuck do you people want? This is why I think you should yeah, just, get away from, just get away from legacy characters then, because I think, I mean, I had a whole issue with Gail. I am sick and fucking tired of every goddamn introduction of her being like, oh, yeah, I lied to you all and I made a story out of this, but then I'm going to redeem myself and you're all going to feel sad when I almost die. You know, she's coming back in Scream 7 and she's going to fucking write a story about this. Everybody's going to be like, you bitch. But then I'm like, ah, you know what? We forgive you. I'm fucking yeah. tired of it. And I get that's probably the joke, but it dragged this film down. That's my biggest issue. I, I like Courtney Cox. She's fun as Gail Weathers. I fucking hated Gail Weathers in this and not in a good way. I just hated the scripting of it. I hated the fact that we had to do. Wouldn't that have been clever? I get that we're supposed to be making fun of these traits, but wouldn't it have been clever that she wasn't a fucking asshole this time and legitimately redeemed herself after Dewey's death? Why are we doing this again? It dragged the film down for me. That's what hurt the drama for me. That fucked it up. Sorry. Yeah, she got, she got shoot. Wow, that rant. Mm. I don't know if I'm turned on or scared. <laughs> I like how I said it in this series I'm not passionate about, and I just got very passionate about them bringing back Gail Weathers again, but I'm just tired of sitting through I think. It. I think you were smacking your microphone too. I actually did spit a little Mm. bit on my microphone. (laughs) I think I'm turned on, but okay. So (laughs) you're right. You're right. When you, when I look back on, on my viewing, I, I, you know, I saw it last night. Um, she was shoehorned in, I mean, literally shoehorned in. And, um, I mean, props to the fact that she was dating a black guy. Yeah. Um, (laughs) but, but at the same time, you know, they did a disservice to her because you're right. After all this time, she should have, why can't she change her demeanor? You know what I mean? And of course they, they throw, they offhandedly throw it off like, oh, you can't live without Ghostface because you can't write a book and get money off of it. Right. I don't think she'd be that heartless after, after seeing Dewey die and all of those things. So it, it, it's, it's just, I don't know. Re- returning Gale to the Gale asshole of Scream, the original, probably not a wise idea. I do also see your point about the fact that, you know, the 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 sisters, that they are addressing some of those issues. I just don't think that they went further than they could have. And, and a lot of the sort of stayed and predictable dialogue between the two of them just felt like a retread of what they went over in four, you know, or I'm sorry, five, uh, scream 22, the sort of like, you're always trying to look out for me. Um, but you left, you know? And so it just, it, the drama fell flat. 
Um, and with most of these kinds of movies, when people are talking, it's not always as exciting unless you are moving things along. And so I think that's what worked about Scream 22. And if you listen to the, uh, the commentary, you know, Justin, you, you had brought up in the spoiler-free review that they can do whatever they want in these kinds of films and then just chalk it up to we're busting the convention of the horror trope, right? And so in the commentary for Scream 22, what they what the writers talk about is the subtext, like the meta, the poking fun at horror tropes, things like that. The subtext becomes the text. And so, yeah, it's like they can kind of do whatever they want and then justify it as, you know, being like, oh, well, we're playing into the trope or we're giving you something new that's busting the trope. But as I said before, you know, if you're going to bust the trope, you've, you've got to be able to, you know, give us something exciting and tie it all together. And I just don't think that this film did that. Um, it also was way, way too on the nose at the end when she's like, you have to let me go. Mm, yeah. <laughs> you know? I, I, I... And Again, just it comes like, down to that. Is that going to be the, the the joke of like, well, that's what you get in these kind of movies? But even I thought like a little bit. I, the reason I think some of that stuff worked for me is I really did like Barrera Ortega. I actually like the core four. I thought uh, they had a really nice connection to each other. Um, I, I think yeah. the reason the drama just doesn't go as far and it's unfortunate is I, f- I think they have this fear that even though people love these characters and love characters in horror films, if you go too deep with the, the drama, then is it at the the mercy of the, the horror? And we just come for the slashings. I think that's a disservice, but I, I think they could have went deeper. But maybe it's just because I really like the, the actors on display and the fact that since this is a longer movie, maybe it just felt like they lingered on it more. But the fact that there seemed yeah. to be more of a heavy emphasis on that drama as opposed to just tropes. Because out of all these Scream films, I do feel at least on the note, I mean, there's some really bad on the nose stuff here, but it's not as heavy. I'm not going to say heavy handed, but it's not as heavy as poking fun at the tropes as other ones did. You get the monologue about what a franchise is and you obviously get a lot of stuff with, you know, the, the whole end finale takes place because they find the killer's shrine to the Scream franchise. So you kind of have a lot of that stuff in there. But I, I didn't find it to be, or maybe I'm just getting Stockholm Syndrome, I didn't find it to be <laughs> as, you know, overt with some of that stuff. Like, there was a little bit more of a focus on the characters here. Um, and I mean, that was my issue with Scream 2, the more I think about it, is because since it had to be such a lampooning of what sequels were, it, it just went so hard with that, where you kind of missed... Because there were some good moments in Scream 2, especially with Sydney, that kind of got lost because of that, and... Scream 3 didn't touch upon any of the drama. I will go to that. Scream 3 is more comedy than any of them are, but... Uh, oh, hells yeah. But, hells I mean, yeah. Scream 4, that's why, know, I liked, that's why I like Scream 4, because you do actually have a good bit of that with Sydney. You get a really nice amount of drama with her, you know, still trying to deal with that and PTSD. Um, yes. But yeah, and I, she and and Nev changed her signature acting style. Style, I, Listeners, I if you have been following Nev Campbell, you know that she has a particular way of delivering lines or acting and it's it's all over scream one and two but in scream four i don't know if nev campbell went to like acting coaches or something but she changed her acting style and damn it she improved it and she was so good in four addressing all of that and you know more to your point i do love these actors i think out of the core four i'm gonna say that mason gooding is probably the weakest link um just because he's he's the 
he's the sex eye candy. I mean, he he gets introduced here shirtless, and it's sort of like, mm, okay, that's why you're here. I'm actually um, going to disagree real quick. Uh, just be, and this comes down not so much to the actors; it comes down to their roles. I I do agree that he kind of was the eye candy, but once they kind of played up the relationship that he has with Tara Carpenter, and it's a little bit after a while, even I, and they make fun of it when they're like, "Why don't you two just kiss?" But I like their moments where they were kind of comfort each other. I think, and it's not her fault, I think she's very charismatic, but Jasmine Savoy Brown has the hardest because she has to be the the Randy, uh, you know, with the Minnie Meeks Martin character. The Randy, Uh, yes. That was the character's name in the first one, right? What? It was Randy, right, from that... uh, Randy Meeks, yeah. Okay, I just wanted to make sure I wasn't, like, making it wrong and making it sound like I was including our Randy. I was like, his name was Randy, right? (laughs) No, no, no. no. (laughs) Yes, his name was Randy. Um... she does. She does, in fact, have the harder, the harder role. Um, but I still think she did what she was supposed to do, which is Randy. Randy is an annoying know-it-all character, um, and he is dialed to the elevens. Uh, and that, at least, that's how I've always seen Randy. Oh, yeah. um, and so she, do, I think, she does it really, really well. And her monologue scene is actually pretty. It's pretty fun, right? But it's also just, I don't know. I don't know. It's but also read, that, very, very reminiscent of hers. But by that the, same the token, though, does Mason Gooding not get that kind of same? Because he's doing what he needs to be, and that's the eye candy, uh, shoulder, and you know, sometimes comic relief. Um, is it more well, that you think uh, he is the weakest actor, or you just think he's the weakest character? I guess is what I'm getting at. Both. Okay, because I didn't. But both. I thought. I mean, granted, I, I'm not expecting too too much from. I thought he was fine in this role. I wouldn't I wouldn't go. Oh my god, this guy is going to be the next big thing, or I really want to see what he's doing next. But I think I think he was better in this than he was in the last one. He left more of an impression. If anything, I think it was more. It was a criticism of the last one because it took me a little bit to remember. Oh yeah, this character wasn't that last one. <laughs> that I yes. I did for a little bit think is this a new uh, character that they met at Kajovic? No, it is the same guy because I forgot. But that's more the writing. I, some of it may be him, but I think a lot and, of it's just he has the more thankless role. And thank you for bringing that up because in the last film, he was kind of the slutty football guy who didn't want to have sex with the slutty alternate girl, alt girl, because he wanted to survive the horror film. But his girlfriend in that movie was so obnoxious that. When those two get together, Tara and him, I did not buy it, and I did not want that relationship to go through. In this film, or um, the last one. So, in this film, so when they were when they are hooking up, Tara and um, and uh, Gooding, mm-hmm. I, I did not, I did not think that was an appropriate relationship, especially considering, like I said, that he was that lascivious jock with the obnoxious girlfriend in the last yeah, film. Yeah, was. He's, Although he's not that now. People are allowed to grow. Now most of us aren't like what we were in high school. I think. I think he earned it here. I, he was. He was protective, but the nice thing he was the better protective than the sister, which makes sense because obviously the sister's going to be more protective. Where he took care of her, but he wasn't overbearing on her. I don't think. I. I thought they had a cute little chemistry. Yeah, but she knows him, and it's surprising that she didn't try to put a foot down more to be like, "This is not the man you date." Um, True, and so, but like he's I said, I think there, the, there was he's not the same character that he was in the first. He's grown. 
He's a human, he's a human being. We all grow. One of our best friends in this community, and this community, did he grow? Brad has admitted that he would have made fun of us uh, when we were in high school. We don't hold that against him. <laughs> he has grown. I think he, uh, at least well, with the way they've shown it in this film, I think he has grown from that. He's not shown as being this slutty asshole jock. He's a caring friend. That I mean, obviously he does. He has uh, issues with Jack Champion, Red. but. Red, he was introduced shirtless at a frat party, so being predatory was... against uh, well. other women. Well, well, and then trying to set up Jack Champion and have him lose his virginity. Okay, well, you know what? Here's the thing, though, and you might be right on that, but that is to go back to tropes. That's just what we do in college, you know. That's the American Pie. Thing, you know, <laughs> it's no, it's not. By the, okay, by the way, you might did have you, a point. I, I guess I kind you... of <laughs> forgot about that because the rest of the film, he was growing and was sweet. I don't know. I kind of. I didn't think he was all that bad. I thought he was fine. I liked his chemistry with Tara, I think. And if anything, she's bringing the best out of him. Did you... Point taken. Point taken. I still think he's a slut and it's an inappropriate relationship. But but, uh, did you catch the name of the sorority she was pledging? I did not, no. Omega Beta Zeta, which is the sorority that Sydney's roommate was pledging in Scream 2. Mm. See, they should have done Lambda, 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 but that's not a horror reference. Yeah. The nerds <laughs> to go back to college and something that is still a very funny film, but does, but you know, none of the actions in that are appropriate. Those are not, never mind. We're not going to go on that. See, different times. different. So, you know, a lot of, uh, just to go, just to go back to like the twist and the whodunit, a lot of the whodunits in, in these Scream films rely on the fact that that you know the viewer is so into who could be the suspect who is the red herring herring and all of that was set up in the in the first film as well right so in scream you know they make point of the fact that the that the ser- that the kill- that ghost face is wearing these combat boots and there's a scene where the sheriff stubs out his cigarette and he's wearing combat boots and so they're part of the fun of these movies is that they do throw a lot of red herrings um, but you know, the linchpin for all of this is that there's going to be some sort of retconned information that you don't, you don't really know. Right. So some character is going to be revealed as connected, et cetera, et cetera. And I just, I felt for the first time, because it's, it's a device that each of the movies hinges on that for the first time it felt tired. And so I'm a little surprised that Kevin Williamson had gone on record in an interview saying that like, oh, all of this feels fresh or whatever. And I have to say that when you were like, yeah, when you said it, you know, all of this feel feels kind of like fresh, I was like, oh, not you too. <laughs> but um but it just, you know, I don't know. It it just it was disappointing. It was disappointing to me this I, film. I will that production say- design though Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, I will say when it comes to the, like, the reveals and all that, and that's not really that fresh. I don't know how you can make any of the those things fresh at this point by the sixth installment of the franchise. Um, yeah, yeah, totally. But, I don't know, it just, I, I guess since we are on the sixth one, it's still, maybe it was just the setting. Uh, maybe that went a long way, and in, in hindsight it will, but I, I kind of just, I, I, maybe it's the new characters. I think that's what it has to do. I know we had them in the last one, but you take out Gail Weathers, Yes, again, we have Kirby coming back, but to me, she's still part of the new group. She's from Scream 4. She's not from the first three. I think that helps with the freshness of this. It's outside yeah. of Gale. This is the first one where we're seeing where we don't have a Sydney, We don't have a Dewey. And I think that has gone a long way in making this one feel 
different, even if it is the same, which to be fair, I mean, most sequels and films in general are taking the same templates that we've seen time and time again from stories, but just switching it up just a little bit to feel different. Um, so maybe f- fresh is too strong yeah, of a word, they- but I, I don't know. I still, I enjoy, I, it felt, re- I'm going to say fresh again. It, <laughs> I don't, it, it didn't, it didn't feel kidding. as tired but, as I expected it to be. I I was expecting yeah. this to be more tired by the sixth installment, but I actually, I thought it was a little bit livelier and not deep, but more focused on the drama than I was expecting. And I had the opposite reaction. Um, but so the opening scene, the reason why they bust the convention is because in a lot of these films, and, and this goes back to the whole red herring stuff too. In a lot of these films, you have to wait as the story develops to figure out that's, you know, why Ghostface is killing and what's the connection to the original Woodsboro murders, right? But in this first scene, they actually reveal that, you know, he's that these two are filmmaking students. They're trying to complete Richie's movie. And so I thought that was interesting that they just suddenly, you know, like pooped all of that out on us in the first scene because you don't you don't get that. So in terms from the other films, so in terms of an opening scene that really changed things around, I kind of dug it. And that's a, that suspense scene was pretty good. But when it doesn't lead to anything, that's what makes it really, really disappointing. That I will um, agree with because I love that opening. And I actually bought into this idea. So I mentioned the actor, but uh, the two in the opening were Samara Weaving as the victim. She is Laura Crane. She is a film professor at one the school that they all attend. And then Tony Revolori, you know, Flash Thompson, he ends up being the killer. And that threw me off when they revealed it because I was like, is this – is this entry going to be where we all know who the killer is, but they don't? And I was like, I, I, I don't blame them. So for that maybe- was the, that's, that's the brilliance of that yeah. first scene. And that is, scene is, is really the good. The mask comes off. And, yeah. and I thought like, I, I don't blame them for maybe not going that route just because that would be very frustrating if we know and they don't, but you can maybe make that work. But then it just turns out that like his roommate who he thinks is, playing the prank on him back of the room when he's watching uh, Jason Takes Manhattan. Uh, turns out his roommate was killed by the actual ghost face for the rest of this film, um, which I still right. thought all that was clever. I will admit, though, I think they did. And I think they found themselves where they shot themselves in the foot because if you would have kept doing, because it would have made sense if you had these two film students, what about other people that might have been inspired? And you could have had this like ghost face, the, our, the real ghost face, quote unquote, against these imposter ghost faces. But I, I think maybe that would have just gotten in the way of, you know, how they normally play out. But then again, you, we are in a sixth film. And as much as I am saying that, you trying to throw that fresh word out here. Maybe it would have been fresh to to throw in this idea of, well, now there's so many of these ghost faces going around. They're basically competing against each other to finish this film because that so from that opening does get lost. Like they mentioned it obviously at the end, but like it doesn't really, they don't play up the idea that yes, there are other people wearing the mask just because, you know, it's Halloween and it's obviously a big thing, but they don't play up the idea of how many other people could have been obsessed by this. They they get rid of that right so, after the opening. So far be it from me or us, because that's not what we do as film critics, right? Mm-hmm. We look at a movie and then we discuss it and we critique it. But far be it from me to say how they should have written it, but like, where were the... I mean, unless I miss something, where were the other film students? Why mm-hmm. why didn't they go to a film class and start trying to figure out who those people? That would be the logical endpoint. Now, granted, I love it. 
and again, this is where the, you know, the subtext, the meta becomes, you know, the, the text Barrera's character does exactly what she should have been doing, which was planning to get the fuck out of mm-hmm. New York city. And so, but, but at the same time, it's like, okay, if you're going to stay and make a stand, why aren't you looking at the film students? So that thread completely dropped. Well, I will say um, this. They weren't staying to make the stand. They were staying because they were told to. Uh, and even though she well, still wanted too. to. Um, uh, I, I'm i actually kind of glad they didn't do the film school as much, even though it is very weird just because we got a lot of that in the second one. And again, that's where the, uh, most of the obnoxious stuff from that second film came from. So I was a little worried about that happening here. Um, oh, you got a hard on for Cameron. um though i will defend both of us though uh i don't think in this case and i've said it before we're just trying to say this is how they should have done it the only reason we're thinking this is because they presented it we're not we're not presenting ideas that we're not even touched upon in the movie and saying they should have just done this because this is what we wanted the the reason we even thought like i wouldn't have even thought about like Ghostface versus Ghostface, except they introduce that idea somewhat in the opening. So when they don't go back to this idea that there could be many people inspired, that's why I'm criticizing, not so much because they should have done it, was just like, it seemed like you were going to do that. Just like your criticism of the film school is, you've introduced it, but you haven't done it. So I think, again, they were trying to subvert it. I just don't know if maybe it was as clever as I thought it was. I was just happy with the subversion because I didn't need the film school stuff again. But it is weird to introduce that because why do they have to be film school students i get why the the people in the opening did but they all could have went to i get i know because the randy's daughter but she could have been the film student and the rest could have went for something else psychology or something you know there there was no real reason for them to be film students just because of the fact that you know they're in the scream universe i don't get why well it's it's the it's the link from the last film richie richie and amber wanted to make quote unquote make their own film by by providing source original source material True, but i and still so, think the other characters outside of you know the, the sister could have been like well after oh, yeah. that we don't want to do movies let's just you know try to have a normal life and i'm gonna go into agriculture or business or something you know right and that, well, first of all, we haven't introduced this idea in a while, but our early episodes, we joked about spec scripts that we were going to write. And Red, I think you you and I should write that spec script of competing ghost faces with different mm-hmm. motivations. That would have made an even crazier Bats movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and quite honestly, um, I don't know if you know this, but so uh, Congo, um, the original novel by Michael Crichton actually had that it had competing interests or search parties trying to to get to that uh whatever the diamond or whatever it was that they were all searching for but in in the theatrical adaptation of the film it's just a straight like mm. adventure story but yeah we should have hey, gotten bruce that, campbell trying to also get up there yeah. and just killing him off in the opening exactly but um but hey james vanderbilt guy Busick, if you're reading that if you're hearing this do that. Make the next sequel competing ghost faces surprise the hell out of us. And which brings you know us what? to if they do that, yeah. because they really hinted at it here, and I feel like they're going to go very hard with it on the next one that, you know, uh, Sam is dealing with becoming her father again. That's the big thing here and how violent she's becoming. That explains some of the violence here. Then you can, so, you can yeah. do that where if you have competing ghost faces, then you can start to think, what if one of these ghost faces is her? And it doesn't feel like you can do that without having to be like because so much is going on it's easier to buy into that i guess as opposed to like yeah there would be no reason why it would be her or even orchestrating it in this one um 
So just throwing that out so the, there. So the commentary for Scream 2022, the writers freely admit, and I felt this too, the writers feel, freely admit in Scream 22 that it was just, it was jam packed with essentially three storylines, right? The sisters, the friends and what they go through, and then the legacy characters. So I don't think people give well, maybe they do, but there's not enough credit to Scream 22 and just how freaking clever they were with integrating everything. Um, but they said in in the commentary, the ghost of uh, Billy Loomis was their big swing. And Kevin Williamson had sort of encouraged them, like, do it, because it's the one thing that doesn't feel like a Scream movie. And so I guess my biggest disappointment with Scream 6 is they – they had a a real roadmap to try to explore her violent tendencies. Am I a serial killer too? Um, with with the Sam character, and they had a real opportunity and and leeway to go into Tara's PTSD and what that may or may not do to somebody when they just try to suppress everything. But all of that they subjugated to just the whole like, you were overbearing and I hate you. Oh, but I want to protect you. I don't want you to die. And that's why I'm so disappointed in this, in this film, just the missed opportunities, which brings us to the subway scene where, I mean, I, first of all, did you see the one, the one extra dressed as it's, Samara weaving? Yep. From, I was going to say, I noticed that immediately because she was wearing the dress. I'm like, that makes sense because she's in this, the red or not so connection. Um, before we do get so to the subway cute. though, I do want to at least mention one thing about Go the, uh, the Loomis, the father thing in yeah. a weird way. I wish they would have delved more into the drama, but I was happy that they only occasionally brought Skeet Ulrich back for the flashbacks because I liked the fact that they were trying to do something different, but I felt that that was too cheesy in the last one. And I think that showing it detracts. And I don't know. I mean, I, I, at this point, I can't, I mean, I can criticize it, but like they can't change the fact that she's his daughter. But even then, I thought, like, I know that was probably part of the joke. Of course, she has a connection. I think that has just been a little bit too on the nose in general that, of course, she has this. That part is what really feels trite to me. That, of course, she feels that she's did take, a serial killer because her dad was. It did take you out of it. That I, yeah. just, I think in this one, it would have been more potent, and you can't help it because she's already been introduced. But like the idea would just be because she survived this massacre, as, as she become numb, and it's making her this. I just I, I think the idea of, like, oh, because my dad was a killer, that's not fucking... I know that people would still deal with that, but considering she didn't know that's who her dad... I, don't, I just think that's too easy of a... Just because your dad was, that's well, not how genetics work. But wait. But I get that but wait, your hold dad on, was hold that. Hold on. So another reason why I'm super disappointed is because they have that thread. Am I a serial killer too? Am I violent? And clearly when she, when she, when she stabs Richie 20 million times and mm -hmm. then cuts his throat, you get a little bit of that. She's like, holy shit, this is my superpower. I'm a fucking killer. Right. And they had the thread and they didn't follow it because remember they started that whole internet shit about how she was in fact mm -hmm. the killer, but they didn't tie that back to like her having this emotional thing. Like I enjoyed the killing. Now there was that thread in the, in the therapy session in the beginning, but they don't follow it well, through. And that was the perfect, that was the perfect pair up with the internet. You were the real killer. And then me enjoying killing Richie, 
They had it, okay, and they just so didn't do anything with it. The idea of, like, and we brought this with Halloween Ends, the labeling theory, that I liked. I guess my issue just comes from the fact that a lot of the drama has to come from, is, am I a serial killer because my dad was, and maybe that's why I enjoy it. That part I just don't like. I think that's too on the nose. I do think they could have went deeper in this. The only time they really bring it back is the final act where she's stabbing the guy, and then she goes, <laughs> well, we'll get to who it is. Yes. And she even says, you know... I'm not my father. I'm not a killer, which again, I thought was a little too on the nose, but then of course, Tara looks at her and she goes, ah, but you fucked with my family and just stabs him in the eye again. Um, again, can they Loved just- Loved it. Also, the stabbings in this, the eye trauma, the gouging, all of it, mm-hmm. like- it just, it was really, really intense. But, but now here's the thing but, though, did that, I loved that final act because I thought like the brutality was enjoyable and very intense, but did you find that kind of wink, wink of like- basically setting up this dramatic uh, revelation that she's not her father, but then, ah, oh, but you know what? I'm going to kill you anyway. Did that not just disservice everything? Like, did that not just compound onto your issues with the, the drama to begin with? It did because okay. they gave us all of the setup. They didn't tie it together. And then they throw it at us at the end. That pissed me off. And also I'm going to throw back, I'm going to throw back your own words. Um, you know, we are some time after scream 22. And so you're right. Just because your father is a serial killer doesn't mean that you are, but it was the act of dispatching Richie that yes. should have been paramount in her mind. Like, mm. do I enjoy killing? It might not, it, that, that they in and focused, of itself has nothing to do with yes, the father. They could have honed in on that more, but even though they don't go as bad with it, they still bring back the whole f- flashbacks with the Loomis, which again, they're kind of, they, since they introduced it last time, I just, even the last one, I felt that was, I liked the fact that they were trying something different, but I thought that was the weakest aspect. I just thought it was too yeah, cheesy. They could have dropped that. They could have dropped that. Yeah. You know? It like, almost feels it, like there I'm was ha- no ski. I feel like they're holding my hand too. Like, I'm not going to be able, like, yeah. I, unless I see him in the reflection, I'm not going to understand that she's going through an emotional turmoil. Like, no, I get that she's struggling with, you know, her past and the PTSD. Just let her show it. Instead of yeah. having to bring in skeet, you know, and using, but this, but, but yeah, to return it to the subway scene, it just, it, it, it they could have done that so much better and scarier. And all they did was give us a light show basically and have one of the characters stabbed. It was really, that was lame. They had, they, again, they had another amazing opportunity to do that. And, and, and they didn't. Um, and I don't know, maybe, Maybe this is just me getting crotchety and older, to use a term you said in the <laughs> last couple episodes. Maybe this is just me getting crotchety and older, but I look at all of the enthusiasm for this, and I think to myself, you know what? As a discerning horror connoisseur, um, I, I'm going to need more than gory kills and ooh, there's three killers this time instead of two. And boy, isn't it fun to watch two ghost face killing people. Like, I'm going to need more than that than to simply say, oh, it's such a great film. You know what I mean? While I I agree. I think I've I've moved on. Okay. And I was going to say, while I agree, I also feel like that's 
been this Scream franchise. It's obviously more with the clever writing. Well, clever if you feel it's clever, but still, that's that's the selling point than as opposed to... Yeah. It, it's just what we're always going to get, and I think that's why I was receptive to it, because I, I'm not as passionate, and I wasn't expecting more than what I got. So I was like, all right, it's yeah. Scream 6. It's another slasher. It, it fit the bill. It had a little bit more drama than I was expecting. Not great by any means, but enough that for me to sink my teeth into, have nice characters... Uh, I get where you're coming from, but I guess it's just my, it's the same reason why I didn't mind the last Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Could they have done something better? Yeah, but if it's just a slasher, hey, I get it. There's a bunch of other, especially in today's day and age where everything's at my fingertips, old and new. I knew what I was getting with a Scream 6. It sounds like a backhanded compliment, but as just a slasher sequel that has some clever writing to it, I I had fun with it. But I will agree that Subway scene even if it was meant to subvert, was very underwhelming. Yeah, it sucked. Um, (laughs) Okay, so two things. One, I'm probably too close to this to have a real... I'm sure that people are going to like piss on me for essentially saying that this was disappointing and it's a skip. Um, You know, and I'm into water sports, so feel free. But... (laughs) um, But... uh, So one, I'm probably too attached to this stuff. I may need to go back and look at this. And then two, even if this were sort of a fun slasher as the way the Netflix Texas Chainsaw was, I think it still fails in that regard as well. Um, I I will, to defend you, um, maybe you are too close to it, but the same goes for all the enthusiasm coming out of it. How can we... say that a lot of those people who are really enjoying it they are very close to it but on the opposite so instead of you know they're they're the the clerks three for me where it's just like just doing a few things was enough whereas to you you're the different kind of you know close fan where you hold into higher steam so i think the reception to it is could be both ways i think you know anybody that wants to piss on you for that well you could rightfully piss right back on them because maybe their enthusiasm for this franchise is why they are more forgiving or more accepting and loving this film because it can be easier i'm the guy that's just in the middle that's like hey you know this is it's an enjoyable enough franchise that's there not overly fond of it but i kind of like it and this was another all right installment it's you know, it didn't annoy me as much as Scream 2. And even though I don't hate Scream 3, that one definitely felt kind of hollow. Uh, so this at least has more of an energy to it than Scream 3. Though, Scream 3 did have Parker Posey. I would have watched the whole Oh film. my God, that that is the only benefit yeah. of that movie is her character is a hoot. Yeah, I would have watched an entire movie of Parker Posey. Like how, you know oh, what? How is, yeah. How do we not have that in the Scream franchise where we just have a stab movie? Instead of Scream 7, the next movie is just stab. And it's just yeah. this meta, you know, remake of what, you know, that stab movie would have been in this franchise, you know. I don't know. Maybe yeah. you could do that. Maybe that would get tired so quick, but you feel like they could have went that route. Also, I'm going to do a Troy and I'm going to say just to piggyback that last, the theater set is so genius in terms of a production design. I really, really enjoyed it. Um, and even just as sort of like, a, um, we keep saying love letter, but even as a love letter to the other Scream movies, it was super cute to look at some of the mm-hmm. display stuff and be like, oh, that's the name. And oh, there's Dewey and pictures of Dewey. So I, I did I did like that. And you know for a it, fact it's going to become an actual attraction that people can go visit. 
Yeah, probably. But but um, this is where I'm going to pull a Troy, which is where did all that money come from? <laughs> the guy's a detective. I know yeah. he's not making that much money. Both of his kids are in college. Whoa. Whoa. Yeah. I don't. Yeah, uh, so. I, I would more. I guess they didn't say it though. I guess we should reveal the the twist was that the detective was the killer along with his daughter, and then Jack Champion turns out to be their son that was posing to be somebody else. So they had this whole right. shrine that their original well, it was, son, it was, uh, Richie's, yes, Richie. Richie's shrine, but they're keeping alive and they help support because you know they want revenge. Which I will say, I I kind of called it. I had a strong feeling, I was talking to a friend about this, that when uh, Quinn was killed off very early on, the way it was set up, and I, I just had this sinking feeling, like, I don't think she's dead. I will say, I didn't call Jack Champion, and there being three, but that was because they were so heavy-handed with of everyone thinking he was the killer, that I'm like, well, they won't make him the killer. But I kind of like the fact that they did them, because I'm like, well, it is kind of funny, make it the most obvious dude. Not maybe the best um, twist, but it was fine enough. And they almost got me with it could have possibly been Kirby. I'm glad they didn't do it. But I was like, maybe. But I did have – I kind of at least called the Quinn thing pretty early on. Um. Also, is this not controversial that a light-skinned black woman is calling a white guy Ghostface because of his complexion? Anyway. <laughs> I did not um, honestly not even think of that. But that's clever. Uh, I did. Um. But man, Jack Champion is so hot. Dermot uh, Maroney is so fucking hot and as sexy. Oh son my of god, a bitch. I do. So, so can I just tell you that? So I figured out that it was in fact Bailey, or at least he was involved, because when he comes out and Quinn is dead, he said he says a line to I forget who was standing there. He's I can remember the line, but I can't remember who he's talking to, which is retarded. But um, uh. There were, he says a line that Scooter and I, like our heads popped up like Groundhog style. He says, now, now I've lost the second of my children or, I, or something like I've lost her um, and now it's two people out of my family. And up until that point, we had only heard that he had a daughter. Did you catch that? Uh, you know what? Yes, I did. I did. And they mentioned, well, they had put in, Quinn had mentioned that she had lost her brother. So that part was telegraphed and wasn't too smart. But the way, okay, that, he yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but the way that he worded it, even then, even if you knew of those two kids, he didn't say, I lost both of my kids. He said, I've lost two of my kids. Hinting at, yeah. there was a third that nobody, that to my recollection, had brought up. And that was the twist with Jack Champion. Um, and I kind yeah. of went... And, and I mentioned this with Glass Onion, whenever it comes to these kind of like murder mysteries, it's also not that hard to sometimes pull out the twist or at least guess who a killer is because you just have to use the law of, you know, economy of characters. It's got to be some of these people. Right. It's going to be so and kind of going in. I was just like, I have a feeling I might be the detective, but I, I will say I didn't quite call everything, but I wasn't also uh, digging too deep. But that Quinn thing, I don't know why the way that whole the telegraphing, how long drawn out it was. I was just like, she's not dead. And the fa I think it was also the yeah. fact that like how quick it was that everybody had to get out of there and leave her body. I'm like, she's still alive, but yeah, of not, course, not a bad twist, course. not the greatest, but it's funny because there was a small part of me that did think that Kirby might've been clever because then it would have, when we go into 
the next installment really ratchet up, you know, Sam thinking, well, if this could have drove Kirby to insanity to kill, am I going to kill? One, I'm kind of glad we're not getting that heavy handed. And two, you can still get that from obviously, you know, now that she took out the rest of Richie's family, she still stabbed the shit out of in violent, satisfying fashion. You can tell she was enjoying that. The multiple stabbings. Um, you could still have, and maybe, and maybe, maybe it would have been too much to sew the thread of, you know, going psycho with both the Carpenters and Kirby. Yeah, and I think that's why they um, avoided it because it would have been uh, just yeah. a bit too much and heavy-handed. And this makes a better drama because if you really go in the seventh one where she's really struggling with it, you have somebody else. Yeah. If you're not going to bring back Sydney, that also went through something similar like this and says, "Look, I haven't gone insane. I've used this to you know my benefit. I might have to get violent in my job sometimes, but I'm choosing the violence for you know her mind positivity or." Uh, safety as opposed to enjoyment. I'm not, she'll try to bring out that the only time that you got violent was when you were in defense. So, but yeah. they, they have something to go. I with. choose violence. Yeah. I, I, I choose <laughs> violence when it's necessary, not, you know, for enjoyment. Um, but, I mean, which is a mixed message in its own right. <laughs> well, yeah, but I'm just saying for this character, it's it's, it's a mixed message. Yeah, yeah. But at this point, you also, I, I bring the don't take, you know, too much from these movies and realize that as a character study, you have to understand this message is just for that character. You don't need to. Right. To, I mean, I, to spoil broaden it to yes, everybody. To, yeah, to, yeah, to spoil yeah, yeah. Clerks 3, you know, Dante, <laughs> you know, was way too reliant yeah. in that happy ending of him being to be with Becky. Everyone should not be like that. But for his case, it was a satisfying ending because it he worked. just wasn't. It worked. But no, you should not be that attached. to. I mean, you should be attached to somebody. But you should also move on um, if you can. It was also. Also, I have to say it was such a pleasure for Kirby to come back. Mm-hmm. But the problem is, is the Kirby that we loved from four is non-existent in this. And they don't really give much for her character to do except to fill in blanks and then become that red herring. Yeah, she is exposition um, in a red herring. And unfortunate, it was nice to see her back. I like Ed Penetier and I really liked her in Scream 4 a lot. I, I quite like Scream 4 too. Um, I think it kind of gets shit on. When it's shit on, I, I think it's people are coming around to it. It just, I remember when it came out, it, it didn't bomb, but it underperformed. Like it, they was expected yeah, to be this big hit. Like, oh, it's coming back, and it was just like, it made people think: Is this series, you know, has it had a you know day yeah. in court? But then, scream, obviously, the series, but specifically these two films have shown, especially this one with its box office. No, people are still happy to see these movies. This film, Scream Six, makes me think it may have its day in court already. So, um, I think Scream what, Seven what, will probably show that because there's a lot of uh, not just enthusiasm, but box office wise, already after this opening weekend, will yeah, time will tell how the next one works, and that will show if it has its day in court. To be fair, though, all of these franchises will never have their day in court. There's always going to be a reboot. The only reason we haven't gotten a new. Nightmare on Elm Street is just because of the trickiness of can't do Robert Englund. Are people going to take to it? And then Friday the 13th was just because of those legal woes. I think they're finally cleared up. Yeah. So we're probably going to get another one, which do it in the snow. Maybe. God damn it. Do it in the snow. Um, um, I was also going to just mention this. Hayden Panettiere, unfortunately, um, she had not only a postpartum depression, but she has been very vocal and candid about the fact that she had substance abuse mm. issues while doing Nashville, the television show that she was on. Um, and 
when she got sober and dealt with some of her issues, she reached out to um, Radio Silence and uh, Project X to say, bring me back. I want to come back. And so it, it was it. It was a joy to see her back on screen. I was just a little disappointed that they didn't give much of her character to do. Hopefully she'll come back. Also, her husband is incredibly gorgeous. Is he a basketball um, she player? Married... No. Oh, okay. <laughs> he is a, no, he is a uh, uh, mixed martial artist, uh, a boxer, Vladimir Ooh. Klitschko. Is he big? Um, Because that was her thing for a while. Oh, she was uh, dating the tall guys. He is, he is a Big, sexy Ukrainian nice. man. Yeah. Good on anyway, you, Hayden. Um, so before before we wrap up, and by the way, my my verdict is still, unfortunately, a soft skip, unless, of course, you're a Scream fan and then you need to go and see it. Um, Justin, your final verdict? Uh, I'll stick with the watch. Maybe I could go a little bit lighter, but I don't know. I think it's just a, a fun time. Could have used some tightening. Uh, the fact that we haven't, outside of my rant, talked about Gale as much really goes to show how, you know pointless that is and yeah maybe one of the core four should probably die just because everyone surviving was a little bit too weird so um, and then that's why i go back to if you're gonna bust the conventions make it meaningful mm-hmm. and so everybody survives but that's still not meaningful in, the way in it was handled was not because then it was just like i mean i kind of was fine with chad just because i liked i know you didn't but kind of the blossoming relationship between Terry and them but even like when the sister came up i'm like oh it wasn't busting the convention of like really giving them a happy ending it was just like oh by the way we survived uh which was still I even know, the same with I gail know. like i uh, but anyway i'm not gonna go on that rant again but i'm gonna stick with the watch i, I did Grown. think that this was fun especially if you like a slasher or some really clever spots there's even a spot with a ladder when they're trying to get to another building that was really cool. Uh, I like that. So that's that sequence worked. Yeah, that I, that, that was sequence really was fun. Very very fun. I think it's fun. I think it's much like a lot of the other Scream films. Maybe not the best ones, but not a franchise I absolutely love. But it's one that I like. It's another installment that I like. So I'm going to shout out Marchio Productions on Instagram, and that's M A R C H I O Productions. Go ahead and follow him. His Instagram bio is future Oscar winner, movie, TV news and reviews, film aficionado, horror, sci-fi, wrestling. Yeah. Um, Marvel, Star Wars, DC. I had left a comment because he actually listed the Scream franchise movie ranking and read while I'm reading this and reading my ranking, I would ask you to do the same so you can premiere your ranking before we conclude this episode. So Marchio Productions' ranking is coming in at number six, the last, Scream 3. Five is Scream 2. Four is Scream 5. Three is Scream 4. Two is Scream 6. And his number one is Scream 1996. Hmm. So my ranking coming in last, Scream 3. This is not a surprise to any of you. (laughs) Coming in five, Scream 6. Four, Scream 2. Three, Scream 2022. Hashtag Radio Silence, Matt... Benetti Open, I Want to Marry You. Um, Number two, Scream 4. And number one, the original, don't fuck with the original, 1996 Scream. 
So it's always and, hard to do these rankings when I'm still fresh off of a viewing of a recent one. Mine is actually close to his, though. Uh, I will still put Screen 3 at the bottom, uh, even though I don't hate it as much as most people do. It is still the... the la- <laughs> it is just the most... The tamest. It just feels... It doesn't have much of a bite. Five, I yeah. will agree. I'm putting Scream 2 down there. I just find it too obnoxious. Uh, four... Hmm. This is hard. Uh, I think four will... You know what? I think for now, I think I could put Scream 6 at 4. And at 3, I would put Scream 2022. I think they're kind of neck and neck for me. They kind of go nicely. Uh, the second, I would actually go Scream 4. I really do like Scream 4 a lot. I think it's very fun. And then the first is definitely the... You can't fuck with it. It is the freshest of them. Uh, it was a very novel concept. Uh, and it is still very fun. Um, so yeah, first one. But yeah, I think I think 2, 3, and 4 could probably... Or at least 3 and 4 could probably interchange. Like my rankings of Scream 20. 2022 and scream six i feel like scream four will probably stay in that number two spot i really also i have a fond memory because he's still with us i'm not saying he's not with me but my dad and i don't really go to the movies as much together we'll sometimes watch something at home or whatever but growing up once i really got into horror films that's what he liked we went and seen all the horror movies together uh and one of the last ones we saw and this was well after i could have started going to see these by myself but i was just like hey dad the new screams out do you want to go see it because i knew he was a big fan of the first one so i have a soft spot to see him scream for with my dad mm. in the theater well red i could just kiss you and make out with you for hours for saying that scream four is the number two yeah i it, some of it <laughs> might like be soft spot list. but I, I i do really like scream four a lot i think it's very fun and it's it, in a sense was a requel or a legacy sequel more than a requel uh, before that term really got coined or before Scream 5 yeah. really took it. Um, I will say the one thing I do like about Scream 5, even if it is slight with it, I do like the fact that they bring up toxic fandoms because uh, it happens. Yeah, all that's the time. and that's why it's my number three, because, you know, if we want to talk about four and Williamson. Um, birthing the recall issue and then birthing, you know, just a, a great conceit or concept to come back with scream 22 did that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, that whole toxic fandom thing is, it, it was just so contemporary and now, and it really gave, gave it the punch that it needed. So, yeah. You know who else okay. has a uh, toxic fandom pro wrestling, but I who? still love it. <laughs> and, and Star Wars and Marvel and DC and all of them and I still can't <laughs> and everything. Yeah, I can't believe you like a DC movie. I fucking like both Marvel and DC movies if they're good. If it's a fun movie, I like it. Simple as that. Hey, Batman versus Superman. I've probably seen that movie thirty-five times. I kind of like I it. Love it. It's not. It I love it. It's not entirely successful to steal your term, but I don't use that as a complete <laughs> negative. I use that as it's a it's a mixed bag, but I think there's some interesting elements in that, and I do like to return to it sometimes. Most definitely. So um I may have been a little adult in analogizing my uh my disappointment with this film, but if you listeners have a strong feeling about Scream 6, or you want to send us our rank- your ranking of the Scream films, or even leave us a message, or write to us, please, you can at watchskipplus, spell out all the words, no punctuation at gmail.com. You can go to our Anchor home site, anchor.fm backslash watch hyphen skip, use the message me button, or since we're all Apple and Android uh, 
affiliated here, you can do a recording and simply email it to us and we'll certainly play it on the air or answer or comment on any suggestions or improvements that you have. As always, whichever podcast weapon of choice you are listening to us on, please leave a review. That's actually how word gets out about our fun little podcast that we're doing together. Um, and even if it's not a five-star review, be constructive. Let us know what we can improve on. If you love us, you are certainly going to love The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema, Not a Bomb podcast, and I guested on their episode recently addressing or talking about Tarsem's the fall which is very very hard to find but it's a wonderful movie you can also listen to death by dvd which just started its patreon also starting its patreon vhs files backlook cinema with alonzo also silva and gold feminine critique our lovely boys across the pond raiders of the podcast uh as well as <laughs> cult of muscle and am I missing anything else? Did you mention Married just, with Clickers? I think it's the only one we didn't. I think I missed that, Married that with Clickers. I think they just I, finally released another episode recently. So, okay, got it. And you know what? I think another bingo thing will be Jose missing one podcast. <laughs> okay, you know what though? It's still impressive <laughs> uh, how many that you've been able to remember. And that one, maybe you said it, and I just missed it. It's very possible. No, no, no. I did not say no. Okay. It is the one. I was so concentrated on getting back look cinema with Alonzo. Yeah, you got that early. I was proud. <laughs> I did. It was not I on the back did. end. Eh? 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 <laughs> <laughs> yes. Wah, wah. Okay. Well, and listen, and red. Yes. Listeners, uh, Jose might have been a little bit disappointed in Scream 6, but we hope that you were never disappointed in us, that you always listen, you never skip, and you remember the chew are the plus. Also, this is a less than two hour episode, so we're giving you a little bit of a reprieve after our four hour monstrosity of magnificence last week. So love you. Yes, I I agree with monstrosity <laughs> as well, but it was it was so wonderful. And I love you too, Red. I oh. love you too, Red. And by the way, Red, what's your favorite scary movie? Oh, I'm just gonna hang up the phone. This is how it's gonna ignore. What's it gonna do? Come in, probably. I'm I'm angry that uh, Randy says showgirls in Scream Three, which is another reason to hate that fucking movie. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy! 